Hello, my name is Matt Dan, and you are listening to On the Rocks from Why Yoga. Today, we're going to talk about Dharma with Maria Manista, and I hope I got your name correct, Maria. Absolutely, nice to be here. So, some people who've been practicing at Why Yoga for a long time will remember you, but for those of us who are newer, would you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you found yoga, or if we follow Robbie's concept, how yoga found you? and what you've done with it since. Sure. So I am a singer slash yogi living in Seattle. For me, my yoga journey has had many milestones over the years, but it really started, uh, as it does for so many of us in the West, as a purely physical practice. So I remember, it must have been around 2005, and I remember reading a fashion magazine randomly and there was an article in this magazine about Madonna and how she loves this thing called Bikram yoga and uh -huh. that was my first time really considering that as a thing so I kind of booked bookmarked that I was intrigued uh, it said that this was a system of exercising that's done in a heated room and as a Finn I grew up going in saunas <laughs> so I was I was interested and didn't really think much of it until a year or so later, I came across an ad from a local Bikram yoga studio in Seattle, and they were doing one of those intro, like one month of unlimited yoga for $10, something like that. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. If it's good enough for Madonna, it must be good enough for me. <laughs> so I went with it. And after my first class, I was completely hooked. Like I loved it. Mm -hmm. And I think I must have gone every single day for that whole month. And I continued after that and eventually transitioned to a studio a little bit closer to home where they were also doing uh, like heated Bikram style yoga in addition to other styles of yoga within that studio. So I was, you know, interested in broadening at some point what yoga means and what it meant to me. And like I said, I'm a singer, and at that point, I was in graduate school. I was getting my master's degree in voice performance, and I had noticed that my voice was starting to somehow change or develop, not just because of the schooling, but I also felt like somehow the yoga practice, and in particular, the practice of breathing in a yogic way was changing my voice, mm -hmm. and I was getting a lot more control, a lot more power. So the concept of pranayama and breath came up for me quite a lot. And I was the person who, when a teacher would ask for requests at the beginning of class, I was always raising my hand, oh, let's do pranayama, pranayama. I wanted all of these different breathing practices because I knew that it was essentially changing my career and my life as a singer. Then in, I guess around 2011, a friend of mine said that she's considering doing this yoga teacher training at a studio in Seattle. And it was one of those, I've had a few instances of this in my life where just a suggestion has so much impact on me and my whole system just said, oh, yes, this is what I need to do. <laughs> like I had never considered being a yoga teacher before or considered doing a teacher training, but it just felt like the right thing to do. And I had never visited the studio either that my friend was talking about, but I signed up for this yoga teacher training and eventually, of course, did some classes at the studio before the training started, but it felt like home and it felt like such a wonderful decision. And I'm so glad I did it. Like the studio owner and I are still very close friends. 
But this was the first time then that I was interacting with yoga in an even deeper way, like according to the philosophy and the history and reading these yogic texts. Mm -hmm. And I was very intrigued that there was this system of yoga that could somehow take us beyond all of this suffering that the mind can cause. And it seemed to be that according to these texts and to the people who had accomplished these yogic tasks, that there was this place beyond all of that, beyond mm -hmm. the mind, beyond the body, beyond the breath, that was pure bliss and love and compassion. And, and that was a really interesting concept for me. I never thought that I would experience it. It was just an interesting thing that I was reading about. But at some point, I did actually experience it around that same time. And I was reading this book at the time by Eckhart Tolle called The Power of Now. Mm -hmm. And like many Buddhist texts and, and yogic texts, it was all about the power of being present mm -hmm. and how our mind constantly wants to take us out of the present moment to worry about the future or to pick apart things in the past. And his premise was that if we can be present, that everything in the present moment is okay. Like yeah. We can at any given moment ask ourselves, what in this moment is lacking? And often the answer is nothing. I'm okay. And so I was kind of grappling with that. And I did have a moment where I think I was even in a traffic jam. I was in a car driving in Seattle. And um, I just had this moment, I guess, of this absolute presence where everything felt like it just dropped away. And I felt okay. And mm -hmm. more than okay, I felt this upwelling or this surge of I don't know, bliss or joy. It was beyond joy. And of course, it only lasted a moment. The next moment, probably somebody cut me off in traffic and I was back in my <laughs> humanness. But but I experienced that and it stuck with me. Obviously, it's 10 years later now and, and I still feel very impacted by that moment, my first sort of glimpse into mm -hmm. this space beyond. And I knew that one of the keys to finding that was meditation. And that was kind of my big roadblock. Uh, I knew that it was something that I would need to do if I wanted to encounter this feeling a little bit more. But I had so much resistance to meditation. Like I, I didn't think I could do it. My mind was too powerful. Like anytime I would sit down on to try to meditate, a second later, I would get up like, no, this isn't for me. I hate this. I can't. So that sort of lasted on and off until I did my next teacher training in 2017. And one of the modules within that yoga teacher training was a year-long meditation module. And we wow. were all instructed that for one year, we had to have a daily meditation practice. Mm -hmm. And we would get together in a group once a month and talk about our experience. But for each month, we had this program laid out like we had to. And so, okay, I took the challenge. I knew that meditation was my big hurdle. And I decided to sit down and basically do what all of the yogis do say. Nothing. You have to sit down yeah. and look at it and and see everything that comes up. All of that resistance, all of that, ah, you just have to sit through it and mm -hmm. watch it. And that was profound. It really set me kind of into the next level of my yoga. And I feel like I'm still on this journey sort of this give and take, like I 
I tend to get very overwhelmed with my busyness and okay, there's all these excuses not to meditate. And then I'll go back into this space of, you know, having a daily commitment and a very devoted practice. And more and more, it's becoming the latter where I'm becoming more and more committed. So that's sort of my journey with yoga in a big nutshell. And as far as how yoga has transformed me, it's really been on every level, like the strengthening of my body, of my breath, of my mind. But I think most of all, the biggest impact for me that yoga has had in my life is giving me the resilience and kind of feeling resourced enough that I can encounter all of those things within me that have perhaps been suppressed or that I feel ashamed of or these things that just come up as a part of being human. And I feel like I can be with those things without being completely overwhelmed by them. And then also to be with all of the news of the world, you know, be a part of this world and be a presence in this world in a way that feels really true to me mm -hmm. without being overwhelmed or, you know, falling into despair. So, Which at the moment, it would be very, very easy to do. Apart from COVID, there are so many other problems in the world that, yes, to despair could be very easy. Sitting on this side of the Atlantic, it's very interesting to listen to you say how you loved pranayama and the physical exercise because it gave you control and power, or let's say power and control over it. Um, but you were frustrated by meditation, which seems to be, you know, it, it cultivates the opposite of control and power. Or it seems to, except that, as you said, to control the mind actually is the, is the greatest power of all. I'm going to touch on some of your experience later because I think it's really fascinating. And I thank you first for sharing with us that moment where you said you glimpsed um, that bliss, that love, that compassion. I'm always asking people, you know, did you get a calling? Did you have to do this because everything was in the way, you know, pointing in, in that direction? And often the answer is no, um, but it's great when sometimes it is. And it's great for other people to hear, you know, you can act on those feelings and, and, and take them somewhere. So let's move on to Dharma, right? Or Dhamma. Again, my Englishness stops me from pronouncing other languages really well. Can you give us a good definition? My understanding is that there's, there's no one word in English that could describe Dharma. So maybe you could talk around it and, and give us a definition. It's also my understanding that Dharma has many definitions, and it's been explained to me in very many ways. From my understanding, the Sanskrit word Dharma means right action or right path. So Dharma can be viewed as a soul's purpose, sort of the reason why we're here, what we're meant to do in this life, what we're meant to learn and achieve. Dharma has also been defined to me as duty. So this would not be so much in the sense of like, what is our obligation to others or what is our obligation within like societal morality terms or anything like that. But it would be more in the sense of if I were able to use all of the yogic tools needed to get to that place beyond the mind, beyond the suffering and sit in that place of wholeness and integration and non-separateness what would I then feel that my duty is or mm. what would I be in service to? 
in this world or in this life. And so I feel like it's very much connected yoga and dharma in that sense. And I have also heard of dharma as being defined in terms of balance and order and kind of the, the balance of the universe as opposed to the opposite of that, which would be adharma, the absence of dharma, which would be chaos, mm -hmm. imbalance. And so as yogis, we're striving toward that balance or we're finding hopefully the tools needed to find that integration and therefore also align ourselves with that dharma, that balance. And then the final definition I wanna throw out there is also wisdom teachings. I hear it also in, in terms of dharma talks, which is when a teacher might share some things about their experience or what they know to a group of spiritual seekers. Mm -hmm. Right action or right path, sort of taking the right path is, is a concept in a number of philosophies. It does remind me of something that Robbie says a lot, which is, if that's your path, if that's your path, is Dharma, is it about what your life purpose should be? I think it's definitely in, in the way that I've conceptualized the term Dharma, it is wrapped around my life purpose or, you know, it's just something that I can align myself with. Like I can make choices in this world that are either aligned with what I feel to be true at my core, or I can make decisions that don't feel as true or as, mm -hmm. as aligned with that truth. And certainly I've made big and small choices in either direction over the course of my life, but it, it can feel like this guiding light, this purpose, this thing that I can align myself with and that can provide meaning for me. Okay. And when we're talking about paths and, and making choices, a lot of us will sit down and go, well, I always make choices that I feel are right. Uh, can you sort of remind us who are all sitting here thinking I, I always make the right choice? I mean, what kind of circumstances have come up where you don't always make the right choice? Or or let's say you don't make the, the, the dharmic choice. Can you give an example? Yeah, I mean, I can think of of many instances that where I knew as I was making a choice that there was a nagging part of me that was just uncomfortable with that choice. But, you know, due to all of, you know, what I thought other people thought I should do or what I thought was my responsibility in like a societal terms or, or even just based on different ways that my mind has been conditioned to believe certain things in this life, I did end up making those choices. But yeah, it it always, I, I have very specific moments where I made big choices and they just didn't really feel quite right. And um, I went with them and they ended up not completely working out or panning out. So we have those four or five definitions, duty, not as in what what you owe people, but what would you do? with what you have, or who would you be in service to, or what kind of service would you give? Right action, right path, balance. You're also telling us that it's also about something inside you, right? So in making those decisions, in making big and small life decisions, you feel happier or more comfortable with some and less with others. What is that connection between the path and listening to whatever it is inside you that is saying this way or, or that way. 
In thinking about it in terms of the path, I think that, you know, the Dharma is broad enough. I mean, it comes from that space within that is so expansive and, and so all-encompassing and and some so whole and so complete that I feel, I mean, they say there are multiple paths up a, up a mountain, right? There's yep. multiple ways in my life that I can align myself with Dharma. And so when we go into things like path or choice, there isn't one way that you're locked into, which, you know, can also be a source of despair or confusion or, you know, am I on the right path or am I not? You know, it, it can sort of take you out of that space of feeling whole where you're just worried about taking the next step or making the right choice. So in my experience, at least, it has always been, or this, my personal concept of dharma has always been a source of comfort or, you know, this little light that I can follow that, you know, I can feel aligned with or I don't feel aligned with, but it's not really a, a question of, am I doing the right thing or not? I think it's wonderful that you can share with this sort of the personal part of Dharma. In order to be able to follow Dharma better, should we be studying? Um, should we be trying to learn about it? Can you learn about Dharma from books? Absolutely, yeah. I think definitely essential to read about others' experiences and different ways that other people have also experienced these same things. And it, it helps us to feel like we're not alone on this journey. You know, there are others who have gone before us. And luckily in the yogic tradition, we have this wealth of, you know, centuries old or even millennia old texts where people have been dealing with the exact same things in some ways that we're dealing with now in our minds, mm -hmm. uh, certainly different circumstances around us. But one of the texts that I feel has been very important to me and also in exploring the concept of Dharma is the Bhagavad Gita. Yep. And this is one of the old yogic texts that is essentially about Dharma and these sort of battles that we fight within ourselves to uphold what we feel is valuable and truthful to ourselves and to our being. So just to talk a little bit about the Bhagavad Gita, it takes place on a battlefield. It mm -hmm. opens up on this battlefield and the main character Arjuna is a warrior and he is sitting here on this battlefield and he is in despair. He is seeing everything around him and seeing all of the destruction that he's about to cause and this huge war that he has been tasked to fight. And he is completely despondent. He's paralyzed by fear and hopelessness. And he does sort of what many of us would do in a time where we just, pff, there's nothing left. We There's nothing else that we can try where we have basically lost all hope. And he calls for help outside of himself in the form of God or his teacher or inner wisdom, whatever that is, he mm -hmm. calls for help beyond. And uh, Krishna shows up to him in the form of his charioteer. And Krishna basically tells him, no, you have to get up. It's your duty. It's your dharma as a warrior to fight this battle in respect of or to uphold the dharma. So the people that he's about to fight are an army led by his 100 cousins. And 
his 100 cousins have names like, let's see, I wrote some of them down, material desire, <laughs> anger, greed, hate, jealousy, wickedness, lust, dishonesty, cruelty, impatience. One of them is named postponing meditation. I like that one. <laughs> so you can see these are not just any cousins that he has to fight. This is really a metaphor for a battle that we as humans or spiritual seekers on this path have to encounter at some point within ourselves and our own minds. And I'm sure myself included, I can relate to many of these little aspects of myself, these cousins that I, I'm not so proud of, or I've tried to suppress postponing meditation. I mean, that was a years long thing for me. They say that the five brothers, so Arjuna has four brothers, and each of these five brothers represents a different chakra. And Arjuna happens to represent the third chakra, which is the center of our will. Mm -hmm. And so it's really his responsibility more than any of the other brothers to gather up his will, gather up his courage and his strength and fight this battle. But unfortunately, he has lost it. He's just completely just lying there on the battlefield. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to act. And in fact, he tells Krishna as much. He says, well, what if I just don't do anything? What if I just sit here? I'm sure things will work themselves out. It'll be fine. And Krishna tells him, you have a choice. You can act or you can not act, but both of those choices have consequences. Yeah. So just by not acting doesn't mean that you, you know, cover yourself with your safety blanket and, and stay there forever. Like eventually you will be forced to reckon with this and you will have to serve your dharma and serve your duty and your path. Krishna, you know, he has a lot of words of advice and mm -hmm. words of comfort. Uh, and this is really advice to all of us. Uh, Krishna outlines four different main paths that we can take, four different ways that we can achieve liberation or four ways that we can sort of fight this battle. He also says something that I quite like, which is that no effort is too small, like no action is too small on this path. Even if it feels insignificant, if it is aligned and feels truthful and feels like a step in the right direction, it can lead us miles in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So no effort will go wasted. I quite like this whole story. I highly recommend reading. I will have to find out afterwards your translation. I'm reading an old translation, but the idea of naming the 100 cousins, things like postponing meditation, makes the story easier to understand. <laughs> My focus was all on, oh, I, I, was, I, I was feeling Arjuna's pain in that, you know, I don't want to kill other people because they're my family, they're other people, and this is a terrible thing to do. But if, but yeah, it's a metaphor. If you're ending, ending bad habits and fighting misery in the world and, and suffering, then, then that is your duty. That's not so bad. At the beginning, you talked about right action and the right path. In the scriptural teachings, is there some evidence that there are some universal things that we should all be doing or not doing in order to be able to follow Dharma? Yeah, definitely. I think that Dharma can take many forms, both as an individual, my own duty, and then our collective duty as humankind, and especially as spiritual seekers. 
you know, going back for a moment to Arjuna, he has been able to get to the place already when we open up on this battlefield where he sees things clearly. He is aware of his 100 cousins and all of these aspects of himself that he needs to come to terms with. Not everybody has that yet, or, you know, there are many of us or many humans around the world that aren't even aware of all the ways that they cause suffering to themselves or to others. And so really step one of the yogic path, we can go back to the sutras of Patanjali and the eight limbs of yoga. You know, it's a very specific outlined path, starting with different ways that we interact with ourselves and the world um, through the yamas and the niyamas, and then moving through asana, physical practices, and going gradually step by step toward more and more subtle layers until we can catch glimpses or maybe even live for a time within that space uh, that's housed within each and every one of us. You know, it's not unique to just a certain few people who can call on God or connect with God. It's really something that each of us can do. And uh, that is inherently this inner truth or this light or this path of yoga. And I think that's a wonderful message. It's one of yoga's principles that I find most appealing as a human being uh, is that, you know, I can make it, you can make it, we can all make it. And to make it, we get rid of suffering. So it's, you know, it's win-win. You describe to us your movement from a very physical, a very energetic asana practice to to moving towards classical Ashtanga, eight limbs yoga, and eventually, eventually in 2017, learning to enjoy meditation. As yogis, as yogis who focus on asana practice, how does our asana practice and our and and our pranayama and and possibly a meditation if people are doing how can that connect us to what our own dharma might be as well as connect us to you know those universal yamas and niyamas um is there a connection how how do we cultivate one from the other it can take us back to the advice that krishna gave us that you know there's no action that's too small, or I think it's easy for us to get overwhelmed or wrapped up in the immensity of the task at hand. Like, how am I supposed to get from step one to step a million, it seems, right? They're talking about bliss. They're talking about like these things that as a human being in this life, in this world, in the craziness and hecticness and all of the madness of this human life, how am I ever supposed to attain that? And I think it's just this, A, this trust, and that comes from engaging with people who have been there, having a teacher, and also having a group of mm -hmm. like-minded seekers, <laughs> people also seeking these answers that have somehow become interesting to you. I think both of those are very powerful, having a teacher that you trust and having a group uh, that feels like home or feels like a tribe, so you don't feel so alone. And then just taking one little step at a time and having the ability to recognize somehow when a choice that you make or when an action that you take 
is aligned to something that is authentically true within you and somehow is aligned with your wisest self. Mm -hmm. Something that incidentally I find happens to me normally after meditation, that, mm. that, that, that blissful moment when everything is so quiet and you can finally hear teeny, teeny, teeny voice saying yes or no. Yes. Um, I I want to move on now to and it's not a very uh, it's not a very clean cut from one to the other but dharma and karma are also related plenty of people will have an idea of what karma means but it might be a misconception we're talking about dharma in this life so which path should i take and and what actions do i need to take to stay on it and then as you've already introduced to us, every action, whether we feel good or not about it, has uh, has consequences, or in physics, a reaction. How are dharma and karma connected? In responding to these signals that we get about what our life's path should be and what our right action or right duty should be, how does that then play out um, with karma? Just small question. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And this is another, I, I don't claim to be an expert at any means in the concept of karma or dharma. But for me, and, and I often hear karma in the terms of, as you say, like kind of what goes around comes around. I, yeah. I create this action and at some point its reaction is going to come back to me. I, I do believe that an action that I take today or a choice that I make today will somehow influence how I see the world, how I perceive my life, and therefore how I will make a choice later on at some point. That can also take you to the interconnectedness of the cosmos. And, you know, if, if I, a choice that I make can somehow influence the choice that somebody else makes across the world, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about an, anything like that. But in my own personal life, I do see dharma and karma as being interrelated in the sense that I make these choices, I choose to act or I don't act, and it will somehow influence how I make choices mm -hmm. in the future. And so if I can align my karma, which the word karma means action, if I can somehow align that with my higher path or my higher purpose, then I'm more likely to make choices down the line that also align me with that. As a yoga teacher, do you have many opportunities to to put dharma into into classes? For regular yogis who are doing mainly asana classes, how are they going to come across dharma? I haven't spent a lot of time, A, partly because I'm still processing what does this all mean to me and, and I don't feel always so ready to place my beliefs out there. But B, I also just really trust and feel wholeheartedly that every person is on their own path and there isn't a one-size-fits-all. So I, I guess the way that I weave the concepts of dharma into classes isn't so much about talking about what dharma is, but in providing people with ways to start to listen or uh. to recognize glimpses within themselves or have the discernment to 
see, you know, even something like an asana, uh, I'm often telling my students, listen to your body. If this doesn't feel right, or if what I say doesn't feel true to your body in this moment, then find something else or let me know and, and we can find something else together. But just helping people to acknowledge that they're not alone, but they also are unique individuals and we all have our own dharma that should be respected and, and uh, heard on its own terms rather than trying to fit into somebody else's concept of what is right. I think you nailed it on the head when you said discernment, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, there are two parts to for discernment. There's, there's sort of a learned aspect of it. You can be more discerning if you educate yourself, if you look at the example of other people, if you look for good in the world, and then the other half of discernment is listening to how do I uh, how do I explain that without when I also don't want to put my beliefs right out there because they're not properly formulated. Um, but there is this sort of there's this learned part of discernment, and then there's this instinctive part of discernment, if I can put it that way, and perhaps. What I understood you saying was that practicing yoga can help us with this, with that second part, with the instinctive part, with being able to listen to what's inside our hearts when we learn to still the mind through yoga. So it's great that we we've recognized, you know, that this is a wonderful path where we're going on. There are individual paths. What if I make a bad decision and and that path is blocked off for me? maybe not forever, but f certainly for, for the time being, you know, in your experience, in your opinion, you know, is there just one path that we're supposed to take? And if we, you know, if we make the wrong decision at that point, you know, we're never going to be on our, uh, on the right path for, for ourselves or, or is it a little bit more nuanced and complicated than that? And that maybe there are a number of paths we could travel. I don't know. How do you feel about that? I definitely would in my opinion, believe that there are multiple paths, multiple ways that I can arrive at something that feels like truth for me. Mm -hmm. um, I have also in my life a couple of times been on a path that just, I knew as I made the choice to take that road that it wasn't right. And I stayed on it even as, you know, I kept getting little whispers, no, no, this isn't right. Or, you know, I think there's the saying that, you know, the universe speaks to you in whispers and if you don't listen, it'll drop an anvil on your head. Like at some point it just, okay, bam, this isn't working. And okay, <laughs> I took the hint and, and get back onto what feels like a right path, so mm -hmm. to speak, but... Mm -hmm. It, it just is a matter of finding that discernment for sure. And more and more, I'm able to make decisions as I become more attuned, I guess, or more aware of what it feels like, A, to make a wrong, quote unquote, wrong choice, or to make a, a right choice. It, it um, There's a different feeling tone to both of them. And I guess it's, again, that karma I make one choice that leads me closer towards truth and then I'll know how to make a similar choice based on that feeling tone yeah. later on. Yeah. I think what I've learned from you this evening, instead of saying a right or wrong choice, um, I'm going to look at it as an undiscerning choice or a discerning choice. Um, right. 
A, because that's easier on yourself and we, you know, Ahimsa starts here. Um, I'm pointing at myself. The way you treat yourself with nonviolence. So if, it, you know, so undiscerning choice, discerning choice. I think that's wonderful that I'm, I really am going to carry that forever. We live in a time, many people in history will have said this too, but we're living in a difficult time. We could have another conversation on whether this is um, an age of Kali, which is a, another concept maybe we can talk about later. But certainly, whilst many things in the world have become better, plenty of things have become worse. Does Dharma expand to the choices that we take collectively as, you know, as humanity? Clearly, we've learned that our choices in how we live on on this planet are karmic and we're seeing some of those consequences you know is is there a dharma for the world for humanity are we all on a particular path or is it all just about you know where you're going or where i'm going that is the question and i i instinctively say yes like certainly we want to celebrate the individual paths and these in ways that as individuals we can contribute from a place of wisdom and caretaking but as a collective i do believe that we also as humanity have a certain duty that perhaps goes in hand, hand in hand with the dharma of this earth and this universe and you know for those of us who like Arjuna, have become aware of all of the ways that we cause suffering in this world. I believe that it is our collective duty to be with that and to fight that battle. And and it's not really a battle that we fight by killing or eliminating, you know, these parts of ourselves or, you know, eliminating what we can and then stuffing the rest in the closet so nobody can see it or so we don't have to deal with it. It's, it's really, you know, can I look at these things clearly? Can I see these ways that I cause myself suffering and I cause those around me and this planet suffering? And how can I fulfill then from that place my dharma of perhaps finding the root causes of these things, perhaps this way that I exist in this world with material desire comes from this root of, you know, not having enough or, you know, there's, there's all these different ways that things can manifest in ourselves and in the way that we live. And so I do believe it's our duty to reckon with these parts of ourselves and to face them. And this is where it's important to stay on this path for those of us who have chosen yoga as a path to stay very steadfast and to integrate ourselves somehow into our practice enough that, you know, when things get really difficult, we still have this practice to fall back on we are resilient and strong enough to take on some of these pretty profound and, and big questions and confusions and, and sufferings of the world. So yeah, I think humanity is collectively, those of us who are aware, it's our, our duty to maintain and expand that awareness. And I love how you've just naturally brought in that definition from the beginning about duty in this context it it makes sense that you have a duty to act in the right way uh, to contribute to that balance that you also spoke about at the beginning 
I want to just step back a little bit and look at what we've learned. So what we've learned is that there are some universal aspects to Dharma. Whilst everyone has their individual path, living Dharma leads you in a particular direction. Um, it is not going to lead you to the casino or the brothel or wherever like that. So, you know, it's going in a particular direction, even if you have your, your own uh, path. You can follow your path, A, by learning uh, through books, through um, looking at the example of other people, from being consistent in your practice, from developing your practice, from um, gathering around you a tribe or a family or a home of people that will encourage you to continue to do that, um, with whom you can have these kinds of conversations. And uh, when we come to a fork in the road, we can make an, um, a discerning or an undiscerning choice. But given that we have to walk a particular path, how in your life uh, or how um, in your understanding of Dharma, does Dharma connect with fate? I'm going to presume that, you can, that you're going to say we can't use Dharma fatalistically and say, you know, oh, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't get that job because it was my Dharma. Um, because maybe you didn't get that job because you didn't do a good interview or, or you know, I, whatever. How do those two, how, how, how does fatalism connect with Dharma? They certainly have a hint of similarity, don't they? And mm -hmm. I think we're born with our dharma, or we're born with a reason why we came here, why we're in this human body. Um, and so in that way, things, our dharma is sort of predetermined. But I feel that fate somehow is a little bit more specific or more locked in. Like, if all of my choices and my path is predetermined, mm -hmm. then it doesn't really matter what choice I make. Yeah. Whereas I feel with Dharma, I can make choices that are either aligned or not aligned, discerning or non-discerning. I can choose to somehow be a vessel for Dharma, or I can let my humanness get in the way of my Dharma and get me sidetracked. Beyond all of that, whether, whether or not I make these choices, the Dharma is still there. Another thing that comes to mind is that it can be fated that somebody is a cruel person or like a, a villain in this world. You know, you you can have that fate. Like I make these choices and I do it because it's my fate. But in my feeling or my understanding of Dharma, Dharma comes from a place that's beyond human greed and power and control and abuse and from this place that is more whole and in my experience but more importantly in the experience of people who have lived in that space there it's not a space of cruelty or of you know abuse or taking advantage of people it's a place of love and if your dharma is originating from that place then then i don't believe we can say that it's our dharma to you know be a terrible person or or even to you know fail at something or you know it, it's yeah. beyond right and wrong it's beyond failing or not failing it's beyond good and bad it's just heart yeah the opposites from which we will eventually be freed or free ourselves 
Is Dharma for every day or is it just for those big decisions? Should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I get a dog? Should I have a child? Is that what Dharma is all about or or does Dharma take place um, every day? Dharma is just so integrated with yoga and with karma and all of these different con- concepts, you know, it's all kind of a part of the same thing. And so it's not really something that I escape from or I make myself absent from. I mean, I certainly can be overwhelmed by life to the point where I, I cover that up. I can't hear or see clearly that place of wisdom, but I think it's something that I'm starting to learn that I can come back to anytime. It's it's like home. It's something that I have access to and I'm starting to learn the tools. Some sometimes all all it is is closing my eyes for a moment and I can drop back into that space. Mm-hmm. But so I, I think it's for every day, anytime, anytime one needs that source of comfort or clarity. When you when you connect Dharma and karma together, then the decisions you take about how sharply you speak to your partner then suddenly are all about Dharma, I think. And your day-to-day existence um, isn't going to add up to, you know, those bigger life questions if you aren't applying the right way of living, the balance, the duty to your everyday life. And indeed, isn't that where it's hardest to do? It's easy, it's easy to go to the studio and look like a good yogi and share with people how much you meditate. But, you know, how do you act at home? How do you act with yourself? That everyday stuff, I think, um, uh, that's where you actually can make real changes. We have talked about how there will be two or three or four different paths that you could take and you're going to try and, and make a discerning decision. Is it? Is it all laid out before us when we face those four different paths and we think we're choosing? Are we really choosing or is it all predetermined? Is it fate? And if the answer is is um, is no, which I hope the answer is, then how do you uh, how do you get over the idea that bad things were meant to be? For me personally in my life, it is not so helpful for me to believe that the choices that I make don't matter. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, I just haven't spent a lot of time within that mind space. I do place value in choices that I make and in my agency or my license in this world to make a choice that is, you know, aligned or not so aligned. And so for me, I I choose not to go down that route that maybe everything is so predetermined that I'm stuck and nothing matters. I think the element that we're missing here is that when we're faced with a choice and we're thinking, oh, it's fate to do it this way um, or that way, or I don't have a choice, I think we're misunderstanding. We're not seeing the truth of what the outcome could be, Right. We might think that a particular choice is going to take us in a particular direction and have particular results. I saw um, you had a dog, right? Mm -hmm. You know that when you throw the ball for your dog inside the house, you never know where it's going to be. And you think you're going to throw it, you know, I always think I'm throwing it somewhere safe, but, you know, it always ends up in the place where all the 
delicate things are that can fall onto the floor and smash. May, maybe what we're missing here is that there's no point to fatalism because we cannot see the consequences of our choices immediately. We try to make good choices, discerning choices, aligned choices. But even then, we don't know what the outcome of them is going to be, do we? Correct. Yeah. And I think I can see how that could be a source of discomfort or, you know, I, I want to know that the choice that I make is going to be the right one mm. and I can see where it's going to lead me. And that's where just I, I think the concept of trust just comes in is you have to trust that you're on a path that will lead you closer and closer towards something that feels like home and feels like truth to you. So if we go back for a moment to the concept of karma in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna defines karma as not just action, but of selfless action. So karma yoga would be action where we aren't thinking about our small selves. We're not concerned with uh, the outcomes of our actions. We are, he specifically tells us to let go of the fruits of our actions. So yeah. we do our action and then we let go. And that is one of the paths toward liberation. And so uh, recognizing that that's very difficult as a human to let go. And for me, for sure, that's been a source of a lot of discomfort. But I also recognize that that's where my anxieties come in. For example, as a performer, I've done some recording projects and you know, as I'm recording, I have my nerves, but I do the project. And uh, I've found myself often after one of these projects and, you know, this, the album is produced and the album is released. All of a sudden, now is where my anxiety comes in. Oh, what are people going to think of it? How is this going to be received? What are the critics going to say? Like, this is where my mind can just get completely tangled up and, and uh, causing all of this suffering. And so I can see the value for sure in Krishna's teaching that, you know, we do our work and then we let go and then we do our next thing and then we let go. And that is one of the paths that we can choose to take. I hope you don't mind answering the question. Do you feel like you have found your Dharma? I think so. And I think, you know, I've caught glimpses. There are certainly themes that show up for me over and over and uh, choices and opportunities that are presented to me that take me perhaps a little bit closer to something that feels right for me. I do know that music is a part of my dharma and music and singing in, uh, in terms of healing f feels like is something very important to me. And you know, that's broad enough that it can certainly manifest in various ways, but it seems to be that when I make choices that somehow allow the concept of music healing to flow through me, that's when I feel like things, I'm on the right path. <laughs> Maria, it has been a real pleasure to speak to you. I have learned a lot. I think the most important thing I've learned is about using discerning and undiscerning rather than right and wrong choices. Mm -hmm. I love to joke. The other thing I'm going to remember from this evening is if it's good enough for Madonna, then it's good enough for me. I think I already live by that principle since about 1983, which uh, shows you how old I am. Um, awesome. 
Thank you for sharing with us your ideas, your thoughts, your lived life as seen through Dharma and Karma. I wish you all the best with your next project when it comes to your singing path. And I hope to be able to hear it at some point now that I know who you are. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure having this conversation with you. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.